Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later this hour, we'll hear how one Sunderland farm managed during last week's late spring frost and how their agribusiness has had to shift over the years to keep the farm financially solvent, especially when weird weather happens. And we'll talk with Jen Pollins, the founding artistic director of the School for Contemporary Dance and Thought, located at the Northampton Arts Trust building, about this weekend's performance called Exchange, where over 80 teen artists from Northampton High, PVPA, East Hampton High, Springfield, Holyoke, and others We'll be working with amazing organizations like MAPS, which we'll hear more about this Thursday, the Performance Project First Generation, who were on our show a few weeks ago, and more. There's so many children, but first, a little tree bathing in the Berkshires. When we were in Boston at the Boston Public Library and we asked Bostonians what they think of when they think of Western Mass, the number one answer was Tanglewood. And we are at Tanglewood, but we are not here for a concert. We're here to meet what appears on the logo of Tanglewood, the trees. And you have likened our special guest to another famous Western Mass-based character. I called you the Lorax. (laughs) Because I think. (laughs) You speak for the trees. (laughs) What's your name? My name is Tom Leahy. I'm the grounds manager here at Tanglewood. Been here a brief amount of time. This is my second season here, but I've been in the green industry my whole life. Golf course manager for 30 years in the Hudson Valley. And here I am. You got a golf cart with you, so, so just... I, right. I don't feel out of place. Yeah. I don't. Have, I don't have my dog with me, but otherwise, oh, I'm fairly no. comfortable. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> no dogs at Tanglewood. No dogs at Tanglewood. There What's you your know. name? Matthew Erickson, senior publicist at the Boston Symphony in Tanglewood. Excellent. You drove out from Boston to come out here to visit with and us. Now today. I'm not the only one with orange shoes on. Oh wow! Yeah, we have to take a photo of that. <laughs> And we're going to get in the golf cart, and we're going to go check out the trees, right? Let's head out. We'll head to one that everybody will recognize immediately, the great white oak in front of the shed. And then we'll move around to some that people may miss if they don't walk around a little bit. All right. So we're here before the symphony's here, right, Matt? Like, when do they when do they all start to show up? Well, we still have um, the music center, Tango Music Center fellows start first. And they're the, uh, the young aspiring musicians in their 20s. They come in mid-June, and then the musicians come at the end of June, and uh, our first season concert is uh, July 8th with the Boston Symphony. So here we've got uh, some white birches. This is the piano garden. It's It's a nice spot. We've got some great trees there, some young stuff that we planted very recently. And then you get out to the, the shed yard where, you know, you have some... Um, a variety of ages of trees but you've got some obviously some very old trees there's the iconic white oak look at the branching structure on that not in leaf yet but in flower really cool looking tree branching habit on that I mean look at the size of the branches and how parallel they are to the ground really great growth habit on that tree are you the one that has to keep people from climbing it during the shows the whole time well, believe it or not, I haven't seen, We, if we thought that would happen, we kind of get a sense when somebody wants to try it, and they really, they don't, they don't get too far with that. Your spidey senses go off. You know who would be number one to try it, right? Everybody wants to I have my hand raised. Yeah. The first thing I was, I was like, I can get on that branch. Let's take a look at this, because one of the, the, the trees here receive a tremendous amount of care. We do a lot of pruning, a lot of arbor culture here, and you look in a tree like this that's so highly sat under and you can see the cabling in the tree so you see those supporting structures to support these real parallel branches but the thing about a parallel branch on a tree that is the strongest branch on a tree because of compression wood and the way that a tree grows those closer 
to horizontal to the ground are the stronger branches. Where you see a tight crotch, more like a V, that's usually where you have failure in a tree. So, I mean, you can look at these trees and, and see that they've been really well maintained. We had some damage to the trees in that one snowstorm that we had right at the end of the year. And I, it took us weeks to clean up broken branches and the problems that we had as a result of that wet heavy snow but you can see that the trees obviously are very well cared for it's a, it's a nice group of trees here how old do you estimate this tree is the what the white oak i wouldn't have a name i mean it's like the, the white oak of tanglewood i mean it's okay. definitely a few hundred years old i mean you can see the scar on the base of the tree right there which is a shame but it's compartmentalized quite well and when we talk about compartmentalization on a tree that's where you see that roll of the bark down here at the bottom where you can see that little cavity wants to form but you see how the bark rolls around like that and up there where you have that cavity and that means that tree has healed right there so that's really kind of cool and those that's one of the signs that we look for for a healing tree and a recovering tree from a previous injury. What you can see around the base of this tree, we've done some work exposing the roots there and the root flare because we don't want the trees to be choked. So we've, we've exposed that. You can see up about six inches before there was earth there and we've peeled that down and put a nice layer of mulch around there. And we did some things looking for girdling roots, did some air spade work to make sure we didn't have those. And that's why you see this thin band of mulch around all these trees and you see that root flare very prominently because that's an important area to keep healthy on a tree. Yeah, and if you're planting trees or bushes in your own yard, remember not to bury it too deep in there. You're choking Correct. it. You've got to leave a little bit of that root ball showing. Exactly right. If you, When you see a tree that has even a side on it that goes into the ground like a foam pole where it's very straight and smooth, there's a girdling root under there. You want to see that thing flare out at the base. And as you look around, the majority of these trees have been well planted. So on the, on the lawn here, we have some maples. We've got pin oaks, red oaks, a lot of hickories. There's a cat's or a coffee bean tree, which is kind of a cool tree. A little bit dirty for my liking on a lawn of this formal. I mean, it puts out, you know, those big pods, right. which are a pain in the hind end. We got sycamore trees. Do that problem with the hickory with, when Oh, they're, they're at least the squirrels eat those. They're they, part they of the grounds. Right, they, I, I really root for them at that time. Squirrel! So that's been great. Is tanglewood a variety of tree, or is tanglewood a reference to a type of small forest? I think that Tanglewood reference has to, isn't that have something to do with uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, right? Right, the house that he was at once upon a time, uh, the mid-19th century, there was an estate called Tanglewood. Uh-huh. He actually wrote a book called The, the Tanglewood Tales, based mm-hmm. on his time here. It is legendary. Then the story of the shed, you know, well, can we design this for, and, and, and do what we need to do? And everybody's like, well, that's, it's not much of a design. And that's why it kind of is a, is a tongue in cheek thing, you know, well, that's a shed and it, it, there it is. That's but it's the, been emulated. Like right. I grew up in the Boston area and right. Great Woods was what they called it. It's still what I will forever call it. It's and still it's, Great Woods. Yeah. And it's designed <laughs> exact, almost exactly like this. Right, and this thing is is iconic. I, I bet you the BSO fans don't rip up the lawn here and set things on fire like they did when I was a kid at no, Great they Woods. Don't. But. They don't. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I've spent, you know, 40 years guarding turf, and I really enjoy people having a great time on the lawn here. And it's really, it's an interesting place to watch people, you know, take their shoes off and relax and get their blanket spread out and, and do the things that they do to enjoy you know, the symphony, it's almost like an interaction. And, and you know, what? I really enjoy being part of the 
part of it on a Sunday afternoon when you kind of see the crowd sets up in all the shadows and, and they get in the shade if it's hot. And, and, and as the orchestra starts, it's just a feel-good place. And I think the, you know, the music starts and the interaction between this environment uh, it's fantastic. I mean, as we stand here now and it's quiet, there's not a lot going on. Um, you hear the birds and everything. It's, it's, it's a wonderful place to spend an afternoon with your family. Speaking with Tom Leahy, who is the grounds manager of Tanglewood, and Matt Erickson, who is the publicist for the BSO, you were saying, Matt, that the trees have some musical relationship with the music that comes out of this shed in the Boston Symphony Orchestra. I think it was Bobby Lahart, our director of facilities, who likened the trees and the variety of trees to the uh, the different sections of the orchestra and how they're all in harmony together. Uh, the same way that we have the different string section with the, the violins, the violas and cellos and bassy. We have here the maples. We have these wonderful Norway spruces that are, are in harmony with one another, just like the orchestra makes harmony during a concert. There was a New York Times article that was talking about how climate change has affected these big summer festivals. How has Tanglewood responded to that in regards to trying to make it a more comfortable experience? Have there been more shade trees planted so that there are more places for people to go and find that shade in the the hot summer? Speaking as a grounds manager, climate change to me, you know, has been obvious with the severity of the weather that we've had. And I think that, you know, not that a heavy snowstorm in in the... late winter, early spring is unusual, but I think the winds and the severity of storms is becoming noticeable. It's, it's apparent and it's noticeable. I think that the thing that I pay attention to right now are invasives when you have emerald ash borer, you've got the lan- spotted lantern, Dutch elm disease, and you've got, you know, woolly adiligid, which has been around for a while. But these are the things that we pay attention to, the insect pests and the the pathogens on even a beech tree can get bleeding canker and all of these types of things. So I think that the change in the climate and invasive pests kind of are hand in hand. I mean, now a degree or two warmer and you can support pests that you didn't. So we, we deal with that and we think about that. When I plant grass, I plant, you know, tall fescue, I plant drought tolerant grass plants for that reason and to have the trees and the grass and the orchestra and every you know for everybody to be happy we all have to we have to pay attention to that. Tanglewood is a massive amount of land and I'm assuming that a good part of it is however accidentally conservancy land forested. Is there a difference in the way that those areas are kept from the ones that are more heavily trafficked during the summer? Well, we do. We would have areas on the property that are are walked randomly. There's some areas here that are really, you know, may not be walked on very often because they're steep. You know, it's wooded, and people don't don't spend time doing that. But we have we have great variety of terrain here, from wetlands and and open water pond features to, you know, a formal lawn like this or informal, however you look at it, into a, a woodlands and and lawns of that nature. So it's really great. I mean, th- there's a lot of diversity here from an environmental standpoint and a wildlife standpoint. You're also about to receive an award for the conservation efforts here at Tanglewood, right? On May 23rd for uh, our preservation work here, uh, we're being awarded uh, a national medal from the Garden Club of America at the Garden Club of America's National Conference in Cleveland. This was something that a lot of our musicians helped in just making known. And I know that Yo-Yo Ma helped 
in the uh, application process for the award. And he said, uh, quote, I feel privileged to have been a member of the BSO family for almost 40 years because I'm so proud of the BSO's outstanding commitment to environmental and cultural stewardship. And if there's any mission statement for the Tanglewood, I think that that was beautifully surmi- uh, summarized there by, by Yo-Yo. Yo-Yo Ma's not hiding in behind some of these bushes or trees here, is he? Because he's in Knoxville uh, right now with a piece. Oh, okay. <laughs> what about James Taylor? If like we, if we, if we look around these trees, is he going to pop out somewhere? No, I don't think so. And it's a little Honestly, early I'd in the year. I'd be afraid if that were the case. Hello, like, I'm James no. Taylor. Oh God, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> On the third, he'll be here. He'll pop out. Yeah, there he goes. Yeah, but that's planned. That's okay. If right. I know it's coming, then it's fine. Coming up, more with Tanglewood's Lorax and residents Tom Leahy will hear more from and about the trees and will play with Tanglewood's sundial and their listening bench. And later in the show, how did farmers fare after the late spring freeze last week? We'll hear from one farmer, Dave Wisseman from Warner Farm and from the Millstone Market in Sunderland. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NAPM. What about the geese? These guys over here, they cause you lots of problems. Well, you can see that we've got this. That's not my dog there on that stake. It's, well, a, we, they, they, it's a silhouette of a fake dog. <laughs> and it is scaring the geese away? It is, and it works briefly until they catch on to the, the fact that it's, it is a silhouette. Oh, hey, real dog right near us. <laughs> you look vicious. I bet you're really hungry for goose. If the geese would stay off the sidewalks, they, they'd be much more welcome than they are. <laughs> Tom, don't forget the bears. Are there a lot of bears? Well, it's funny. I, I, I grew up in Oneonta, New York, and, and you know, it was good countryside. It reminds me a lot of the Berkshires, and I've never seen a bear up there, but, you know, they, they hit everybody's hummingbird feeders and do all of that. So this summer we were in on a Saturday morning doing some cleanup and prep for the, the weekend. And over here at the tent club, I, I came around the corridor, and this bear came, jumped right it was over there it had its head in a garbage can and came around and then it jumped that bears are pretty agile so it came it charged out of there and, and jumped over the fence over here wow it didn't have much problem with it i will say that so the, the bears are are in and out last summer we didn't have a, a lot of uh, bear sightings we had a few but nothing too crazy so they that bear was in this tent and then it ran right over to the this gate by the glass house too. Jumped right over that white gate like it was a thoroughbred. Yeah, well, they just had a bear in the middle of downtown Northampton in a tree right at the main intersection that they had to trank and it fell out of the tree. So luckily, I haven't had to do that. Just let them run their course. So Tom Leahy, who's the groundskeeper for Tanglewood, you are relatively new here, but the groundskeeper pre- that uh, predates you was here for a, a good long time. Well, he was here uh, for a decade. His name is Bruce Peoples, and he he had a background in golf down in New Jersey, as I have a background in golf coming from Westchester County, and as it worked out, when I took the job and 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 was offered the job. Bruce was selling his house. So I got his job and I bought his house. (laughs) (laughs) And I bet he had an immaculate yard. Should, is there some more stuff that we should I take would. a look I'd at? Like, I'd like to take you to maybe some lesser-known trees that are that are equally impressive and kind of cool. We'll, as we travel, we'll talk about them a little bit. Nice. Yeah. Back to the golf cart. Now, you look here ahead of us, and this tree, it's, a, it's several trees here, but that's a hemlock. And a, that hemlock is growing in kind of an unusual way, This that low-growing tree right there. Oh, yeah. And so that's a really cool 
collection of trees right there. You see the stems underneath, but when you look at it from the highwood front porch, it's really cool. This is a little collection of trees right here that I find to be really a neat look. So it makes me want to crawl under right. there and it's climb kid, around and you, hide. You, right, you want the to get me wants to climb on all the trees here. That's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a wonderful kick the can hiding spot right yeah, there. Yes. And then <laughs> and then look you see out. right and you oh, look oh. at that tree uh, below it. You know you've got a Norway spruce and look at how there must have been some damage to the apical meristem of that tree, meaning the growth point of the tree when it was small, because see the multiple leaders, and then you see how that thing has really grown like that. So at some point, the top of that tree must have been damaged. Then it, it naturally tries to find a new uh, leading shoot, and that's got multiple there. That's a really cool tree. It's a literal tangled wood. It is. That's one that's always worth a look. I really enjoy that tree. We should go over and, and when you come up in the back of the shed yard on that trail, there's some uh, some blooming dogwoods back there just to smell them because yeah. as I drive by that, it's you're like, whoa, isn't that awesome? So let's take a ride over that way and uh, we'll head towards the formal garden a little bit and look at that. Oh, these are just dogs. Some, I, I don't even know the variety. There's yeah. a million varieties of dogwood. Wow. You know, yeah. and there's a, there's a dogwood tree over there that you see there's very little bloom on it. That's that small tree by that light pole. Yep. And then as we get over to this side, you look at you, and that's a dogwood right there. That's a kooza. And, and that's a pretty familiar one that most people know. But a lot of the, if I said I knew every variety of dogwood, you, you guys would know that I wasn't telling you the truth. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of them. No dogs allowed at Tanglewood. No Plenty dogs. of dogwoods. Dogwoods, no dogs. Yeah. They don't scare the geese in the way that you want them to, but. They're trying. They smell too nice to frighten anything away. Yeah. Yesterday I drove by this a number of times. Oh, there it is. Mm. You smell that? Yeah, it smells so yeah. good. Let's go into the garden a little bit. You yeah. want to? Sure. You want to walk or you want to ride? What? Yeah, let's walk. All right. The sundial. So you can stand on this and it'll, you know, it gives you what time it is and all of that. It's, it's, it comes with directions. It's kind of a neat thing though. We've got this in Where here. do you stand to make it work? Let's see. Stand on the Find the location which corresponds the to the current M. time of year on the scale of months and stand at that place. So the second M. And it looks like, yeah, yeah. it's about, uh, right. it's a, about, we the, in, about in the correct time. Yes, if we weren't in daylight savings time, that would be exactly right. Lean, just lean a little more that way. And yeah. right. <laughs> For daylight savings, you gotta, you got to pretend you haven't had your V8 today. <laughs> I got to have a V8. Really cool. And then the great thing here, and, and, and I don't think this is, is a coincidence by any stretch, you look straight down and, and under the grape arbor and you, and you go right down through. So we've got one of our busts there and it's, it's really neat. Let's head down This is a ginkgo tree, ginkgo biloba. It's a really, it's a unique tree because there's male and female trees. This one happens to be a female. So when the, that thing has, it has fruit on it that looks like a small nectarine, smaller than a golf ball. But when it's decomposing, it smells terrible. It's the worst smelling tree in the, in the world. I mean, when you come over, you talk about in the fall when you're doing fall cleanup, when you come over and do fall cleanup under a ginkgo, you're like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> but you can eat the seeds of the fruit. Yeah, and they're very, uh, yeah. people use them for they health can. food all the time, yeah. <laughs> When I think of ginkgo, I don't, I'm not that hungry, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to stomach to get to the part you can yeah, put in your stomach. Yeah. What about the whispering bench? Okay. Ooh. 
you were talking about the, the, the acoustics. This is actually something that's, that's, that's very cool. So the story goes, if you are on either side, you can listen to one another. All right, let's try it, Khalees. You sit there and I'll sit here okay. and then I'll see if you can, you should whisper. I can hear you. Oh, wow. There we go. Yeah, wow. If you, talk, cool. if you talk a little bit over a whisper, it sounds like it's an echo. There's a uh, cherry picker working on a building over there. I bet if it was even more quiet, it would be even yeah, more amazing. You can hear it. Like, you can hear the sound go like straight around the, the back of the bench. Yeah, I can hear it bouncing off the back of the bench almost yeah. into my ear. Pretty cool. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that is cool. <laughs> Gonna have to mix this piece in stereo. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, Betsy. The thing about Tanglewood is the transformation of Tanglewood when the students arrive, when the orchestra arrives, it, all of a sudden it's like a switch went off. All of a sudden you hear music, you have, there's people, there's, I mean, it, it happens rapidly. The ramp up is quick, but then again, it's, it's, it, when they leave town, the shutdown is, is equally as rapid. You know, it goes from live to quiet and peaceful. Yeah. And there are a lot of people just walking the campus, which is interesting. Yeah, a ton of people enjoy it. And they really, they, they want to stop. A lot of people want to stop. And when they realize that, that who you are and what your role is at the place, they want to talk about a tree or they'll have a question about the grass or those types of things. And it's, it's fun to have that interaction. I know. We could go over and take a look at the white. I think the white pines, you know, they're um, a real prominent part of the entrance to Tanglewood when you see them on both sides of the main driveway and coming up to the main gate. But you can see that we've re we really showpiece these these signature trees and these featured trees and, and, and we care for them a great deal and spend a lot of time thinking about them and how we want to make sure that we what the planning rotation will be and the care rotation so that it's not coincidental that this happens it's very it's very much planned. The architect Bill Ron who uh, designed both Ozawa Hall and then the Lindy Center straight ahead the tree for him was the centerpiece and the building was designed around the tree uh, Studio E straight ahead is the, the main performance hall for the Lindy Center and it's remarkable when you're sitting hearing sublime music and then you're looking outside this, this marvelous glass facade and you see this tree perfectly framed. It just reminds you of, of the connection here, this, the, such an important connection between music and nature. Thank you so much Tom for taking, us, taking so much time with us and, and speaking for the trees of Tanglewood. My pleasure, my pleasure. I, ho I hope I did them justice. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, Matt. We're gonna get our uh, Tanglewood correspondent, Boston Pops conductor Keith Lockhart back on the air soon before everything all kicks into high gear here, right? We're thinking June. Keith loves talking to you guys. Yay. Later this hour, we'll talk with Jen Pollins, the founding artistic director of the School for Contemporary Dance and Thought, about this weekend's teen performance festival called Exchange, happening at the Academy of Music in Northampton. Up next, a local hero spotlight with Phil Corman from CESA and Dave Wisseman from Warner Farm and Millstone Market in Sunderland. We'll hear if the farm managed to keep the frost off most of the crops during that late spring frost last week. Cross those fingers. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. David, have you thought about taking that theme of a corn maze and like 
seeing if you could do a strawberry maze, an asparagus maze. People have tried to do you sunflower able, mazes, I mean, potato sunflower mazes. Sunflower mazes makes it like, – the thing about it is the height. Like, yeah. you need to not be able to oh, see. Never. Well, I don't have much height, like, so for me that – Even so, like, I'm just thinking of a strawberry maze. Like, how – I actually – I'm shaking my head. Is this a maze for ants? What is this? A center for ants? What? Time for our Local Hero Spotlight with Phil Corman from CESA, the Local Hero folks, and Dave Wisman from Warner Farm and Mike's Maze and Millstone, the market right across from those farms. And we're going to talk mostly about Millstone today. Because Millstone's kind of the coolest. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> I think so. You I might s- be biased. Yeah. I have a slightly not unbiased opinion. <laughs> when I drop my son Enzo off at North Star right around the corner there in Sunderland, I often will whip in there and get a cup of coffee at Millstone. Mm-hmm. So that and more is available. But last week there was a frost and I was in touch with some of my farmer friends to figure out how bad that frost was going to be and then how bad it ultimately was. Um, I've heard some sad tales of certain farms, but Dave, tell us what's going on with Warner Farm and how you weathered that frost last week. Yeah, it was quite the, it's a frost that I feel like snuck up on a lot of us. It happened on Wednesday. So the previous like Friday we went through and we were pulling covers off of all our early sweet corn and everything because everything seemed, looked good. Yeah. I was basically like checking on like Sunday and saw that Wednesday night they were talking 28 degrees, which is rough. Um, Yeah. And so I think it caught a a lot of people off guard and we did everything we could. For us, our biggest concerns is we was the sweet corn, but then also our strawberries because strawberries are in full bloom right around this time of year. Yeah. Then also some blue, like blueberries. It's our fruit crops that are really flowering right now. Mm-hmm. And were they able to manage to get through? Or the strawberries, we did lose some, but for the most part, we were our, the nicest fields that we had. We were able to get um, irrigation on them, mm-hmm. and the irrigation was actually able to keep the frost off of them because the water temperature is just warm enough to keep everything from getting it's this too weird, frosty. Or it's this weird little um, science experiment that happens. Is basically when the water is freezing on the blossoms, it releases energy to actually. Keep the flowers warm. So as long as you are keeping the ice, which is forming on the flowers wet, then the temperature of that blossom will stay right at 32 degrees. Huh. It won't fully freeze. That is really cool. It's, it's a really <laughs> so you go out there and you look at the field and it is just a sheet of ice and it's all crispy and everything. And it's like, oh, this does not seem good. But the blossoms, you'll check them and they. they and that's will how come you do much better. Yeah. yeah, I texted Ben Clark from Clarktail Fruit Farm and I was like, you're going to be able to make this. And he said something about his frost sprinklers and I was like, I don't know what that means, but now, now, I, got, now I, got it it, I got it all figured out. The two big strategies for protecting against frost are the irrigation, the frost sprinklers, and then it's also the um, We'll use remay or row cover. It's that like white cloth stuff you'll see spread mm-hmm. over fields early in the season. Right. Um, and we did some of that on the fields that we didn't have irrigation on. It was a double row cover type of night. So there were certain Ooh. fields that we just we didn't have enough, so we just did a single row cover. Um, and there was definitely more damage in those fields. The ones that we did double covers on lasted much better. Well, so. suffice it to say that I think there are going to be a lot of farms that got hurt real bad. So support your farmers maybe more than usual uh, this definitely season. Definitely more than usual. Especially peaches. Especially yes. if they're doing fruit, because a lot of the fruit crops, like, it's not just peaches, because if we get another frost, I was talking to, with somebody who works across from Apex, from Pine Hill up in Shelburne, and their workers came in for coffee and were like, this is the second one. If we get a third one, apples are next. Yeah. 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 Let's not think about the terrible that that will be if, yeah, the, if like, this area somehow doesn't have apples in the fall. Just so folks know, C says an emergency farm fund. No 
interest loan, $5,000. And if we hear from a number of farms that have suffered, we will up that amount and sort of open it more formally. But as you talk to your friends and neighbors who are farmers, if they need a little bit at a no interest rate to carry them to the harvest, we can help. Now, Warner Farm is famous for Mike's maize, the corn maize, but relatively recently, over the last few years, another aspect of the Warner Farm business popped up right across the street. Tell us about that, Dave Wisman from yeah, Warner Farm. Yeah, so it was actually in conjunction with the maize, or yeah. kind of it all does tie together. Um, in 2018, um, we did end up purchasing the Millstone Farm Market, which is located right, right across the street from our main farmyard. Is that a real millstone in front? I believe it's a real it's millstone. It's giant. It's giant. There's yeah. three of them like pressed into the stone building. Yeah. Wow. Um, so we actually bought the store after two, in 2018, which was a particularly rainy fall at Mike's Maze, which we were kind of looking around and re- being like, well, this is really hard. And it was a really hard produce season that year, too. And it was kind of a part of a bigger strategy of like having one aspect of the business, which was slightly weatherproof. We always joke about putting a dome over the farm, but yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be financially viable to do that. I don't know. It worked for Polly Shore. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I forgot about that. Hemp is an excellent source of photosynthesis. Just because we're stuck in a bubble doesn't mean we can't cause any trouble. I think a lot of people have forgotten about that movie. <laughs> I wish I could forget about that movie. <laughs> yeah, so we ended up, the, it just so happened that that year, um, the millstone was for sale, and it was right across from our store, and it was the kind of perfect avenue to get into kind of the more retail side of things and offer a retail outlet for our produce locally. How's the store different than just a, a beautiful farm stand? By the way, it's all in Sunderland. Just right. For, all right. in Sunderland, yes. Right on Main Street, South Main Street in Sunderland. Yeah, the store is so it's a year round and we always kind of talk about it as a convenience grocery store um so it is a very small store we i think our total square footage is like 1200 square feet but we try and have pretty much everything you would need so um we have plenty of local produce so we have a full service butcher and deli um and then we also have grocery dairy all that it's convenience grocery because it's if anyone who is in kind of you know the Greater Sunderland, Montague, Deerfield, Waitley area. Basically, if they don't want to head down and have to deal with Route 9 in Hadley, they can just slide uh, in. I did that this things. morning, man, and I had to wait in that one-lane traffic. I Forget mean, it. More encouragement for going to the store, just avoiding all of that construction <laughs> that's currently happening. Yeah, so uh, just like maybe do- it's the worst. Maybe you could pay for a detour sign. Yeah, that takes I you right to Millstone. Well so now you are you're still farming though, right? At Warner Farm, we are indeed. Yeah, yes. and but so what is your how does your job description play? out? Like, is there times where you're spending more time at the millstone and then uh, less time in the field? And, and where is that it, it is, right now? It is very much so back when we first bought the store, there was a steep learning curve because we hadn't really done retail in a long time. My dad actually had a couple forays into retail back in the early 90s. He actually ran the millstone market in oh, the early 90s. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I would say during basically 2019, that was a crazy year. It feels like a blur because I was we were both farming and kind of trying to revamp the store, do some remodeling, and learn how to do retail again. Mm-hmm. So um, at this point, we have some really wonderful, wonderful staff over there who help us manage it and keep ourselves saying too so so that keeps you back in the fields as opposed to behind the register yeah which is probably for the best anyway. mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so even though you are a local farm that goes back generations I know that as a store you're constantly wrestling with like how much can be local in our store mm-hmm. to meet the needs and the affordability that 
out of season yeah. <laughs> works for people who live in that area. Can you share like some of those struggles you sometimes have? Totally, yeah. I think that we try and carry as much local products and produce and items as we can. But some local things, especially uh, particularly on the side of local meat, can be very, very pricey. And we've carried it in the past, and um, we tried to carry it more full term. But it was just it was hard. It's a hard price point for a lot of people to hit. So we'll still bring in local chicken, especially from like Reed Farm, local mm-hmm. pork from Sage Farm up in Bernston. And but it tends to be more on kind of like having special deals. But it's definitely it's a challenge. You know, there's kind of you're trying to strike a balance of supporting the local businesses that are around you, the local farms around you, and also supporting your clients tell and what they can they can purchase in their buying power. So Dave Witzeman from Mike's Maze, Warner Farm and the Millstone, all those three businesses. Do you want to reveal what the Mike's Maze Maze is going to be yet this year, created by your wife, Jess Marsh Wishman? I don't know if I'm fully allowed to reveal exactly. Well, then, then just reveal half of it. Yeah. Half of <laughs> it? We got like one little square. <laughs> what, like, one what, square yeah. of yeah. the design. Yeah, like, like, what, I don't in know that how one can... square. Is it a toenail? There's corn. <laughs> yeah, there is corn. corn. <laughs> what are some of the other, I know like partnerships are sometimes hard, especially with me, but what are some of the other farms that you're stocking at the market? Yeah, I mean, we have plenty. We've always carry um, plenty of local dairy. Oh, I think all the kind of like the local products that you can kind of think of in terms of like local honey, the salsas, hot sauces, plenty kitchen of local cheese. Right yeah, kitchen garden <laughs> farms right down the road. Being in the farm world, we have the connections with all the local farms that are doing all these amazing things around here. So we try and carry as many of their products as we can. Because sure, you're one of the few farms that are actually growing sweet corn in bulk. That, yes. that does end up at some of the farm stands. Does the store take snap? The store does take snap. Nice. Yeah. Of course, of course. Trying to make it affordable for everybody. Mm-hmm. And last question, any projections for when we'll start seeing local strawberries? Local strawberries? So we actually are picking a few local strawberries right now. Um, uh, none are here in no. the studio. Oh, I had my first of the season over the weekend. I feel, thank you for making me feel bad about that. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. It's no, not, no, no, it's okay. But we, so we are currently picking um, day neutral strawberries, which are different from the traditional June bearing strawberries that you usually see that pop up in June. Um, the difference is that day neutrals will flower throughout the year, basically starting in April through the first frost in October. Um, whereas the really good delicious classic strawberries you see um, are flowering right now and will be ready for harvest in June. Nice. What's your favorite thing you grow on the farm? Strawberries. Uh, it's. I mean, it's, I feel like that was an easy layup. Like yeah. I teed that it right is, up for you. But it's also. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of family history that goes into it for us. Since my grandfather was the one who first started growing strawberries back in like he was like one of the first people who picked up on growing doing pick your own strawberries. He got it as an idea from UMass Extension. Um, and we think figure he started doing it in like 1961 or something like that. And I have all these stories about basically like my mom and her siblings out in the um, in the fields right behind the house that I live in right now. You know, basically it was the original agritourism directing traffic and figuring out where to park cars because of all the people that were coming <laughs> because pick your own strawberries was such a big deal back in the 60s and 70s. So, mm-hmm. and then well, growing strawberry fields forever. Right? Yeah, right. Literally strawberry fields yeah. forever. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, there's, there's many, and they, they just, there's a deep family history of strawberries. So I think that's why, that's really why it ties in and it is my favorite thing to grow. So yeah. Dave, Which is exactly with... why you don't want to grow them in a maze and have people trampling all through them. Uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Way to go, Phil. That's how you make jam. That's how you make the jam. That's not how you make Strawberry jam maze? Toe jam? Oh, God. Dave Wisseman from 
Warner Farm and from Millstone Market, also of Mike's Maze fame, the son of the famed Mike of Mike's Maze, mm-hmm. Mike Wisman and Phil Corman from CISA, who are the local hero folks. You can find out about all of our local heroes and keep an eye on your farmers who might have got hit bad by that frost and think about the, uh, the farmer support fund that CISA has going on. All those details at buylocalfood.org. Let me take you Up next, Jen Pollins, the founding artistic director of the School for Contemporary Dance and Thought about this weekend's teen performance festival happening at the Academy of Music in Northampton. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. We're joined by Jen Pollins, the founding artistic director of the School for Contemporary Dance and Thought, which has its home at 33 Holly in Northampton, the Northampton Center for the Arts. This weekend at the Academy of Music, she'll direct a performance called Exchange. Exchange makes spaces for young artists to share their stories, develop their creative voices, and collaborative skills. Organized by the School for Contemporary Dance and Thought, Exchange worked with Western Mass teens over an 18-month period, so long, fostering collaborative relationships, offering workshops on skill building around all aspects of performance art, fostering diversity, supporting teen mental health, and giving a platform to the teen creative voice. Exchange is happening this Friday, 7th. 30 at the Academy of Music in Northampton. Welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. This sounds really exciting. We were kind of talking off the air about all that has gone into this and the connections and the networking that has come together to make this performance happen Yes. Uh, this coming Friday. You're working with 60-ish teenagers? Yes, we will finally bring together. This is actually the beginning of the 18-month period. Oh, <laughs> good. So we're at so, the very yeah, beginning. You've got all the energy going in. Yes. Not the energy going out. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, so what we're hoping for is that all of these kids, this is a um, sort of a showcase, right? So we're bringing together a bunch of different amazing organizations and with amazing young artists is what I'm calling them. Uh-huh. Um, and we will just get to check each other out and see all of these different ways of working in the performing arts, which is includes music, live music, spoken word, poetry, um, theater. Um, there'll be a little bit of the bald soprano being read. And, <laughs> and of course, dance. So co- more of a collaborative matchmaking session yes. where everyone gets to see what each other is doing and see maybe a little bit of who they want to work with, who they think that their creative vibe might work a little bit better with to create something over the course of 18 months and show it next December? Next. Well, we're going to have, we will have, um, when 33 Holly Street opens, it's closed right now for some final renovations in the workroom theater, which is very exciting. Um, So in January, we'll do a a smaller show. um, And then next June. Next June. June 2024 is... The fine, the finale. Back at the Academy of Music, where you'll be on Friday, or I don't know yet. Ah, all right, oh. good. Yeah, don't book that far in advance. <laughs> Speaking with Jen Pons for the School for Contemporary Dance and Thought. First, tell us the the origins of the School for Contemporary Dance and Thought, and sort of your background in in the performing arts. Okay. Um, time me so I don't talk too okay, long. Right. Okay, right. I'll cut you off. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So SCDT, we started it about eight years ago. And it was right after grad school, actually, for me. Um, But it was a very organic process. I started it with a really beautiful dancer who's back in New York City named Jennifer Nugent, who was in the Valley for a while. And it started, we had a full professional career. We both wound up in Western Mass after like the our 20s and early 30s, having children and still creating performances and creating venues and creating connections and networks, as you said. And um, we wanted to 
try to find a way to organize our offerings that came from a place of our joy, like our the, the things that we were most busy with as artists. So we started to invite all of our um, colleagues and people that we admired and artists from all over America and actually Europe to come in and teach classes, give workshops and perform for each other. It's much more process-based than product-based, which is where I was gravitating towards from my earlier career as a classical dancer with the Joffrey Ballet um, in another lifetime. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So process-based. It's a big name to throw out there. (laughs) Meaning that you're just working on these projects without necessarily having to have any sort of performance or outcome? Or what do you mean by the difference? Yeah. So I I was saying this morning that I was thinking about virtuosity and how that word has changed for me a lot and how... So offering process, something that's a little bit less polished and finished, something that's still more um, permeable and in an exploration mode to the audience starts to sort of change the whole value system of what performance is and I think is a really beautiful educational tool. It gives people a way in. It gives people a way in to say, oh, maybe I could do that. Mm. Whereas ballet, you're sort of like, wow, I could never do that, right? And so that, wow, I could do that is what a lot of artists are really interested in, in engaging with, with other people and just sharing sort of the beauty, the passion that we have for movement-based arts with as many people as we can. And with workshops like that, it works like that for performers too. Like you get a little bit, it broadens your perspective of the thing that you're working on or how you think of yourself in relationship to the stuff that you're working with too, which is incredibly valuable. Yes. And yet you did do ballet, Jen. So tell me about what made you kind of decide that this might not be the the focus of where your art would continue and wanted to change it up and to do what you're doing now, which is bringing all sorts of different types of dance and performance art to younger people. Yeah, it just was like an on like a insatiable curiosity. And I remember being on stages like um, in Washington, D.C. or in Europe and just looking around and feeling like the incredible power that we were that we were harnessing together um, and wanting to say something significant with it and sometimes feeling like the narratives that we were continuing maybe weren't I just wanted I wanted to keep creating new narratives and so that's what I'm doing now with these young artists is we are creating new narratives together we're taking sort of all of the things that our culture lays on us and what our bodies can do and not do and who we are this broadening idea is is amazing to sort of all we have to do is just invite these kids say what do you want to do today in the, you know in open and what they do is wild. It's like they're writing the narratives and we're just following after them as quickly as we can. As it should be. <laughs> we're speak- the, youth, the youth lead. Yes. <laughs> we're speaking with Jen Pons, the founding artistic director of the School for Contemporary Dance and Thought this Friday at the Academy of Music Exchange, where we mentioned that 60 kids are going to be coming together and exchanging with one another to Where see did those extra what twenty they kids want. we talked about. Oh earlier, well, you know, they uh, one of them dropped out. We, we did well, this off the teens. air. Please. The, ba- the, the bands the had other plans. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's a prom. I don't know. Oh yeah, there's a, it's not like there's anything going on this weekend. <laughs> no, it's not like right? there's graduations or Memorial Day. But do <laughs> no. tell us about some of the uh, of the acts or the people, the organizations that right. are bringing these teens for to work with. Yeah, so I'm so excited to be connecting with them um, as other amazing adults that are leading these organizations. And one of them is called MAPS, which I think you guys yeah. are going to be... We'll be talking about them 
uh, with them on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. movement, uh, sorry, music and poetry synchronized. Mm-hmm. And um, they are working all over Western Mass with the different high schools and also all over the world. So they're connecting um, different groups, music and poets together. Um, they're collaborating and they're creating work. that. So they're making music for poetry or poetry for music. Um, and my kiddo is has been in one of those at PVPA. Um, and at PVPA also is WOFA, the um, West African Dance and Drum Company that um, I've been working with for a long time and wanting to connect more with. So he's bringing, Bisco, Cabisco is bringing... Oh, Cabisco Cabinet? <laughs> yes, is bringing... Um, a ton of kids. Nice. And they're <laughs> and so much fun. And he is unbelievable. Yes. And yep. an incredible dancer yep. in his own right. He's an incredible dancer. <laughs> so they'll be drumming outside of the academy, enticing everybody in. Um, we're also bringing a sister organization of ours, which is um, the Performance Project, First Generation. Who were on our show a couple of weeks ago. Right. Yeah. And so what they do is... Um, bring is create narratives from their own stories, from their own lives, um, and create sort of a physical theater. And I haven't seen this latest one, but I hear it's incredible. It's amazing. It it Mother Tongue is fantastic. Yes. And we've been working with Julie for about four years in different ways. Mm-hmm. So this is our hope that finally we can figure out ways to have the kids connect a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And one of the members of, of the performance project did Nepalese dance, too. There's yes. a story about, like, which... I find anyway, segues, tangents, <laughs> but connections, and that's what it's all about. It's called exchange. So, and it's a performance on Friday, right? So, is it's it, a performance, and this is open to everybody. It's not just if you're going to decide you want to join WOFA or right. you know join the performance project. Right? This is this is the beginning of a, a process, but it right. is open to everybody. Yeah. So we're figuring out ways to. This is we're going to watch and see how the kids interact and see what kids within the the exchange program want to start some formal. Um, collaborations with each other. We've got a lineup of um, professional artists um, that will sort of be mentoring them. I'm calling them artist mentors. Over the next year, they will be working with small groups to create work together. Um, Who knows where that will go? We also have videography. We have Tyler Gorman, who's an amazing videographer and musician, who is directing a pilot project through SCDT. Um, Hatchery is the company that I direct, which is the pre-professional dance company. So they're sort of um, the the ground and the base of this. We're performing the night before um, in our show called Big Time. Uh (laughs) And we'll be showing work. So talk about virtuosity. So we'll be showing work from Bill T. Jones, Arnie Zane, um, like a seminal work of this amazing choreographer from New York that was created in the 80s and has lived on through so many bodies and so many generations of dancers. It started as a duet and now there'll be 25 people dancing. this and that's Thursday Thursday and Friday oh cool so you can come to both days excellent and see a variety of amazing young artists very very and support these artists (laughs) exactly and support dance in general which I think is perhaps the most unloved of the performance arts yeah yeah I think that it's a it's a hard one because we all have bodies right so it's a little confusing when it's like why are you doing that with your body Right, cause it's fun. And you, right. were, you were saying off the air, Khalees, that if like if you're a, an artist, you can go to a sketch class, or if you're a musician, you can start a band or go play an open mic or something like that. But there's not such a place for that for dance in reality. Well, there in, is in at SCDT. At SCDT, but <laughs> yes. is it open to everybody of all it's ages? It's open to everyone, and yeah, and that's the same thing with Hatchery, which is really interesting. Is it's a dance company, and we have a variety. We have some kids that have never danced before. Mostly, you just have to be creative and curious and open. 
Mm-hmm. Open to try, open but to fail. But you have to be kids is the question. Well, oh, no, hatchery. no, for hatchery, but but yeah. we have lots of other classes. We uh-huh. have adult ballet classes. It's called Ballet for the People. Oh, wow. Yep, and it we it's therapy sessions, basically, for <laughs> a lot of... People who used to do ballet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we have a beginning modern class on Monday evenings, which is really, like, can get up to 20 people in it. And a lot of people that have always wanted to dance um, have found their way and... So it's just, it's just, there's, we try and to have as many different offerings as we can to welcome as many humans. If as people we can. want more info about how to get involved with School for Contemporary Dance and Thought, how, where do they find you? They find us at scdtnoho.com. And then if they want to see Exchange or Hatchery perform, is a Hatchery happening at Academy of Music yes, as well? Yes, yeah. So they're, they're teching right now. I'm going to run away after <laughs> this and go back to tech. Um, so it's Thursday night, May 25th at 7.30, and Friday night, May 26th at 7.30 at the Academy of Music. Real quick before we, we have to go, is there an organization that you haven't quite collaborated with that you'd really like to come in and work with? I would love to work with more orchestras oh, and hey. bands. I, actually, I, I really want like a brass band. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to hook you up. Okay, great. <laughs> That's what it's all about, making connections yes, and having exactly. this exchange. That's what the show is all about. Yes. It's glad to, well, glad to welcome you to this Thank show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah, That's probably. Jen Pollins from the School for Contemporary Dance and Thought Exchange this Friday at the Academy of and Music. Thursday. In Northampton and Hatchery the Thursday. Before that, tomorrow... <laughs> In the fabulous 413, as Memorial Day weekend is the unofficial kickoff to summer, maybe you want an iced tea. Or is that iced tea? Emily Brucer, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster, our dictionary in Springfield, will tell us which is more correct. And also in time for the fake start of summer, we'll get a rundown of the fun music and more coming to Mass Mocha in North Adams this season. Plus a report from Nancy Cohen in the NEPM News Department on the repatriation of indigenous remains. Our director is Tony. I find your lack of fonts disturbing done. Our engineer is Betsy Cordes, who is pointing at us and shaking her head because Monty mixed in stereo. Our technical team is Bart. Gaze upon our drivers and despair Rankin. Kara, what's wrong with your control room today, Foster? And punk rude boy Dubay. Musical thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Homebody, the Bonson Symphony Orchestra, James Taylor, Suitcase Junket, The Beatles, and a shout out to Zoolander and Biodome. I'm Kali Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. See you tomorrow in the fabulous 413.